All right, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit, episode 192 with Carl Sterling is about to begin, and I'm super pumped about this episode because he specializes in Parkinson's disease, and he trains a lot of people with this condition, so we get into the nitty gritty of what this is, what to do about it, and how certain things like Nobozo uh, insoles and technology can actually help people with Parkinson's. So enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey. Here we go. Here's Carl. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is Carl Sterling. Say hello. Hey everybody, how's it going? And thanks so much, Rafael, for uh, having me on your program. It's an honor for me. No problem. Um, so I always like to start the show with some super easy questions. So the first one is, what's the current book you're reading? Oh, here it is. Uh, it's called The End of Alzheimer's. Okay. I'll awesome. show it to you. Uh, so The End of Alzheimer's is by Dr. Dale Bredesen. Nice. He's a neurologist in Southern California. Uh, I met him last year, had lunch with him. Uh, great guy. It's really interesting when we look at uh, I did this partially because of the relationship between Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's and other health issues, especially neurological and brain things. Uh, it's really causing me, this book's causing me to take a look into uh, deeper into what we put into our bodies because of the effects that it can have that we may not know about for like 20 years, you know? Yeah. So it's a really, really good book. It's a really great book. I recommend it for everybody. The End of Alzheimer's. Awesome. Uh, so the next one is, what is the current TV series you are watching? Netflix, Crossing Lines. Crossing Lines. What's that about? It's the, it's the uh, ICC. I'm really big into uh, crime dramas. And okay. so this is, has Donald Sutherland, Donald Sutherland, and a bunch of other people uh, crossing countries, boundaries in Italy. They're, it's kind of like they're the FBI of Europe. Nice, awesome. And they're they're catch, they're catching the bad guys. There's a lot of fast car chases, which I love, and all that kind of stuff. Sweet. <laughs> um, and then the next easy question, the last one before we get into a little intro to you is, what do you got planned for the weekend? I will be teaching in Huntington, Long Island. It's our last Parkinson's regeneration training workshop of the year, and my co-instructor, my lead person. Uh, who I brought on last year is Allison Klum, and she's an amazing uh, movement specialist, educator, and she and I teach in Huntington, Long Island, YMCA this coming weekend, two full days. Awesome. Um, so to get this thing going, can you do a little intro of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into the industry in the first place? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, so my name is Carl Sterling. I was born in Ithaca, New York, but pretty much since the age of three i've been in the syracuse new york area uh, i live just outside of syracuse now in a town called baldwinsville um i was a drummer for a living for about 35 years i played r&b jazz contemporary jazz traveled a fair amount on shows and recordings and this and that um my story is this. Uh, nine years ago, when I was 48, I had a health scare at my doctor's office. High, high blood pressure, pre-diabetic, close to having COPD, even though I was never a smoker. 
um, chronic upper respiratory infections and feeling really awful. And I weighed almost 280 pounds, 279. And I'm 6'2". 280 and 6'2", they ain't good together. <laughs> so <laughs> I hired a trainer from, from his office. I was so scared. I was actually crying. I, I hired a trainer. My friend Eric Prager, I want to give credit to him because he's such a, an inspiration to me still. He lives close to me. Uh, he trained me. Six months later, I'm like 35 pounds lighter, eating well, felt amazing, and I knew I didn't want to be a musician anymore. I was burned out anyway, so I really didn't even want to do that as a career. That's a whole other story. But I did, and it was fine. And I decided to become a personal trainer. So uh, a very dear friend of mine, Dr. Brent Brookbush, physical therapist in New York City, I knew him anyways because he was a jazz trombone player, I said, what, what certification should I do? And if any of you know Brent, you can hear him saying this. He says, if you don't do NASM, I will kill you. So I did NASM and got certified. It took me about a year to get in front of any clients because I was paranoid. And I wanted to actually look what I felt would look more like a trainer, which I still would like to look more like a trainer. But anyways, <laughs> the bottom line is uh, after training people with mostly for weight loss, I actually got, kind of got bored with that, um, so I decided to make it more interesting, go back to school at Syracuse University for nutrition, and it was there where one of my professors came to me about seven years ago and said, I know you're a trainer. Can you help me? I have Parkinson's disease, and the journey began, wow. and so it's been an amazing journey. Um, I had no intentions of teaching, but... But now I do, um, which if you want to know that story, I'm happy to share it, but I, I, I don't want anyone to get bored. <laughs> <laughs> are are so, you also a physical therapist? I am not. Okay. No, I am a personal trainer. Yeah. Uh, for what it means, a master trainer, NASM, yeah. not, not, not to say anything negative, I'm a very positive person, and NASM has been very, very good to me. Um, but where we really, really learn, where I really learn isn't going through a master trainer program. That was nothing compared to what I learned when I'm with movement experts around the world. And I have to say, especially in Europe. Okay. And I'll say Mexico, too. I, I would tell you the standards for personal training and being a physio physiotherapist in, those, in Europe, Mexico, is much higher than in the United States, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but the, the, the truth is, the first time I went to teach in Europe, I was teaching for Dr. Emily Splickle, who I, is a dear friend who I'm grateful for the friendship. She actually got me into teaching. Um, it's a different story, but um, I was scared to death. And the only reason I could teach these people over there is because I had a niche, and it was the barefoot training specialist. Well, now I have a Parkinson's niche where we go real deep into the program and they learn. But, man, I'll tell you, the, the caliber of physios and trainers is amazing. So um, I am not a physical therapist, but I hang out with great physical therapists all the time in different countries, and it's just so cool to learn and learn and learn. I really just want to keep learning all the time, every day. No, fair enough. It, it, it's funny, though, because it's like a lot of coaches 
when they're really, really passionate about human movement, they start dabbling into stuff that more physios need to get into. And like I kind of fell into that kind of category myself where now I'm working alongside a chiropractor where we have combined forces. So if a patient comes in, I actually do their active rehab for them. <clears throat> and I've been getting a lot of patients asking me, it's like, they're like, oh, so like, are you a physio? And I'm like, no, but pretty much. <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's yeah. interesting, like, how our continuing education, like, can cross over so much. And if you really understand, like, the principles and methods, like, it's really easy to apply. And then the only thing kind of, you know, separating you from a physio is being able to put your hands on somebody. But, you know, I still rather do the actual training portion because I find that Excuse more me. interesting than, like, I'm going to mobilize your scapula, for example. Yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. I, I think that I feel the same way. I mean, please, uh, nobody, please don't take this like I have some blowing up out of whack ego. I don't. Anybody who knows me knows that that's not the case. But I feel like I'm a physical therapist and a fairly advanced one at that. Um, now, I'm not putting my hands on people in a manipulative sense where I can manipulate them. I may ask to touch them to cue them into different posture or position, but it's, you know, I'll stay within the scope, but, you know, I'd like them to be working on their things on their own anyways. And if they need PT, well, I know in my hometown who to refer them to, who's going to give them the best things. We'll like work together with them. But, uh, you know, I thought about going back to school and getting PT, but it's just, I'm 57, man. I, I just don't want to go back to school again. And, and I can make a difference this way. And I think my energy is much better focused on hanging around with people like Emily Spickle, Perry Nicholson, you know, Federico, my, he's a, Federico Luis, I think that's how you say his last name, in, in Rome. It's one of Emily's instructors. He's an MD and a physical therapist. And there's so many people, um, Adam Wolf and Steve Capobianco, a lot of the rock tape guys, they're geniuses. And so we can learn so many things to do with people. We don't need to touch them or, or you know, go out of our scope, and we can make a huge difference. So that's, that's where I'm at. Awesome. So when you started working with your prof with Parkinson's the first time, like what kind of like sparked your interest in that? Like, was there a certain moment where you're like, holy shit, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life? Um, so I reluctantly said yes to him, by the way. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the only reason I said yes, because it just so happens at the very same time, like, my, my son was working on his PhD, and it happens to be in Parkinson's brain imaging. Right now, there's a different title for it, but basically it was brain imaging analysis. So I knew I could call my son, who really didn't know what to do with my person, but he plugged me into where I needed to go from some movement specialists in the neurology world. So I would know things to be mindful of so I could challenge them without hurting them, him. And, uh, you know, what happened is, first of all, I, I just saw him yesterday, my, uh, Jerry, my first ever Parkinson's client. And he's just, he's kicking butt, man. He's, he's seriously, I'm not even kidding. His balance is better than mine. Um, 
he's very high function. He does have bilateral tremors now. The other side kicked in about a year ago, but he's doing great. And I wanted to help him, and I, I just decided let's let's learn more. And actually, this, that's when I started my my interview series, because all I wanted to do is get in front of people to learn more and more about the brain and the nervous system and movement and all this stuff. And I knew if I like ask a doctor out to coffee, well, they're not going to go to coffee or dinner. So I said, well, why don't you be a guest on the interview series? And I had no idea how I was going to do it. I didn't have a platform or anything, but everybody said yes. So I started with, like, Brent and then Emily, uh, my, my son's boss at the time, Dr. Shumei Wong. She actually used to be Muhammad Ali's neurologist, and I interviewed her. I interviewed Dr. Perry Nicholson. I think you know Perry, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and so then they gave me names, and now we're, like, 100 episodes in, and... Holy, I can't even believe how lucky I am to learn from these people. So what happened, though, to answer your question, was everybody's talking about the nervous system. They're talking about the brain. They're talking about things that were fascinating to me. And I really wanted to take this personal training for Jerry, like Parkinson's person, and really make a difference. Because the traditional personal training, even with some of the challenging balance stuff, that's just like one little sliver of what we can do to help. We need, what I d decided a little while ago this year, I decided our target is nervous system and brain with movement disorders. We need to wake those things up. We wake them up, everything else is going to work better, and then their lives will improve in their quality. So it's, uh, it's just got really interesting, and I just... I went down the path, and now I'm like so far down the path that, like, there's no looking back, and I love it. It's so interesting. Awesome. Um, so for those who don't know, because this is the, I think you're the first person I've had on my show that's going to talk about Parkinson's disease, but can you give the cliff notes of what the disease is and, like, what people should know about it? Okay, yeah, sure. So we'll just do some but the highlights of what you should know. So first of all, the clinical definition would be something like this. It's a degeneration of the central nervous system. It's a progressive idiopathic degeneration of the central nervous system, meaning that you really don't know like why it happens or where, or, like how it comes about other than some gene mutations now and then. Um, but we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, what's happening, though, is in the midbrain area, there's a, there's a place, uh, a part of the brain called the substantia nigra. This is a very primal movement center, okay, movement control center. Uh, cerebellum is, too, but it's more um, newly evolved in humans. So, but the thing about the substantia nigra is that it, it's also the uh, primary production center uh, not the only production center, but the primary production center of a neurotransmitter or a chemical messenger called dopamine. And the brain cells in the substantia nigra are dying. And the more cells that die, the less dopamine is produced. So if you've ever seen a person with Parkinson's who, let's say they're uh, just standing, and they want to get started and move, Sometimes they freeze, 
And, like, they know they want to move. They know they want to move. They can't get that foot to go or that leg to go. And that's because the neurotransmitter is not delivering the message as fast as it used to. And it might take them two seconds, ten seconds, whatever. Everyone's different. Everyone's affected uniquely differently. So their movement is compromised. Um, as the disease progresses and more brain cells die, the movement will be more impaired. Um, and there are, I, I've heard of six stages of Parkinson recently. And it's, I, I'm only familiar with five. Basically, it's just a progression where maybe there's a, a tremor almost almost always enters unilaterally, so one side of the body, and then eventually may get to the probably get to the other side. Um, could take a couple of years. Could take many years. Uh, the posture will be affected gait, reciprocal arm swing, all kinds of different things. So their movement's affected. Um, things that you should know is the number one concern for a person with Parkinson's is falling. Statistically speaking, the number one cause of death in a person with Parkinson's and the Parkinson's population are complications from a fall. Not necessarily the fall itself, but a complication from the fall. Uh, lack of dopamine in the lungs and the, uh, create these changes in ventilatory parameters where they're much more susceptible to upper respiratory infections. Um, and so the number two cause of death in a person with uh, in Parkinson's population, statistically, are complications from breathing issues, pneumonia being the number one within that. So, for example, I know of a gentleman who fell down in Toronto. He fell backwards. He hit his head, had a concussion, a lot of bleeding. He was in the hospital for a month, and he died of pneumonia. So the fall and pneumonia took him. But the fall led to the pneumonia. So uh, we, when we look at programming for these people, and I may be getting my, ahead of myself. Tell me if I am. I'll just say this. We want to be mindful of their movement. We want to know where they f stand in their ability to move. What are their challenges? And we want to work with them to improve their movement and reduce the risk of falling. Okay. Um, when you work with people with Parkinson's, like, do you follow kind of like a protocol to assess their movement? Or that, does that kind of fall out the window because it's kind of, you know, too much of a variable, if that makes sense. I, yeah, that's a good question, too. The answer is I do it differently than I used to. Um, I've decided that, uh, that, no offense to anybody, NASM or anybody else, but an overhead squat assessment just isn't really productive. It doesn't give me information I need about their ability to move. What I want to work on, it's not that we can't do that. It, people are familiar with overhead squat assessment, and there's value to that. But I think it's very limited in its scope of what it reveals, which is mainly joint malalignments and, you know, with the, the goal of optimal posture in mind. Uh, so if uh, I'll watch them walk first, and we'll record. We record uh, two different ways. We'll record walking, like, down a hallway, um, a few trips, uh, and then I put them on a treadmill. 
But treadmill, remember, we were not born to walk on treadmills. So if you know, if somebody hasn't, and I have dozens of videos of people who haven't walked on a treadmill for years, and they can move well, and they still have trouble because treadmills just aren't natural. But we can still gain some information with a, a lateral view, a posterior simultaneous recording, and then sync them up. The program we use to send them into, and then it spits back a lot of data, uh, percentages of things, and this and that. Um, but on a much more simple level, we can go, people can go to this website. It's called Rehab Measures, just like it sounds, rehabmeasures.org. You can look up all these different tests that are standardized movements, uh, fall risk assessment tests. Uh, my favorite one is the Berg, it's B-E-R-G, Berg Balance Scale. Then there's the best test. That takes a while. It's like 45 minutes. But the mini, mini best test is maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, there are other ones. The tug test, T-U-G, which is timed up and go. This is the uh, six-minute walk test. I, there's a bunch of different tests. I like the, the tug and the mini best because... It includes a lot of other ones in it, and it really gives you a, a, a good idea of their ability to rotate. Rotations in Parkinson's uh, are, are oftentimes a trigger for freezing of gait, meaning their foot, they just stop moving. And then if their center of mass, the chest and everything passes over the frozen feet while they're trying to rotate, that can lead to a fall. So we want to assess their ability to rotate and, uh, you know, stand up, sit down. Um, these tests are really good. So rehabmeasures.org, it's really good. Uh, you can, and these are standardized. So on the business development side of things, it's kind of cool because we these tests come with instructions on exactly how to implement them and a score for each item you test. And then you have a total score at the bottom. I think the top score on a Berg is 56. So if you have somebody that's at like 40 when you start with them, it's not that great, but it's not horrible. But, you know, six months later, they test out at a 48, and the neurologist sees that. Because like, neurologists don't do these tests. They don't have time. So we keep sending stuff in with our people. And now we get referrals because they're like, well, the test scores go up with everybody you work with who's our patient. So I know <laughs> because we want to help them. Again, it's not my ego. It's like this is our goal and we can help them. So it's, um, you know, it's pretty cool. Like, So I'll use those assessments. Um, yeah. Okay. Like that. So when you uh, start with a brand new a client that has Parkinson's, how do you kind of create a program? Like, what's your exercise selection? What's the exercises that have more, like, I guess, neural input to give them more bang for their buck? Okay, is it, is it okay if I mention products on the air? Yeah, the sure. Why not? Okay, okay. Well, my absolute number one favorite product in the whole universe, and I say this very sincerely, very passionately, as any of the Naboso products created by my dear friend, Dr. Emily Splickle, and I, you know her too. Yep. 
she's the one who uh, connected us, actually. So, yeah. Dr. Emily, if you hear this, thank you very, very much. Now, I'm trying to get some uh, things together here to do a study, probably in Mexico, because I go there a lot to work with different practices, uh, but wherever. The thing is, is our first, my goal, let's, let me go back to the, the actual question. My first, um, first thing I'm going to do after I assess, in fact, I'll, I'll assess and I'll have them walk in normal footwear, and then I don't even say anything. I'll just say, here. Put these silly-looking insoles, the bumpy things, in your shoes, but leave your socks off when you put your shoes back on. And, like, literally, at least 95% of the time, there's always an exception, but, I mean, about 95% of the time, without knowing what they're going to experience or why, or what I'm doing, because I don't want them thinking about this, I just put them in and say, Walk. And their posture improves, their gait improves, their velocity, their sway, their reciprocal arm swing, their head position, their rotations improve. I have dozens of videos on my uh, website, parkinsonsregenerationtraining.com. They go to the Noboso section, and then there's a drop-down for Noboso videos. There are 20 videos on there of normal footwear. And then to the right-hand side of most of the videos is with Noboso. With no, they have no knowledge of what's going to happen. Well, right there... We have a, a client who's very much engaged in learning more because they just felt better and they have no freaking clue as to why. So that's where we go into our discussion about the nervous system. And just the real short version of that is the nerves, the, the plantar skin is the most sensory uh, receptor dense on your whole body. Um, as we wear shoes and socks for decades, those nerves tend to shut down. It's not like they die. I think they just go dormant. So when we stimulate them and we wake them up, with even with just walking around barefoot, but particularly with the insoles, it really has a much greater effect. Um, when those nerves wake up, those nerves are directly connected to our central nervous system and our brain. And this is an instant, instant improvement in movement. It's like, seriously, the speed of light, because that's how fast your nervous system fires. So this is like the most amazing tool. Once we get them in, in this, uh, and we have a million things we do, uh, they're already feeling better. I think there's a, a big element that gets left out for a lot of personal trainers and physios. And the element is this. Uh, it's the element of emotions, and emotions are so important in our daily lives and a lot of different things, um, and how we feel, how we, what we believe we're able to do. When you have a person who, and this happens all the time at workshops all over the world, maybe it's a technique like they, they can't roll over anymore, so we teach them a modified version of Dr. Perry's rolling techniques, and then they roll. I've had people come in and roll over for the first time in years, or they walk better, or they start running because they're wearing insoles, because they feel so much more secure and stable. The emotional side can be as dramatic as this, where they come in, maybe dragged into a workshop, or to me as a trainer, by their loved one. They're dragged in. They're forced in. 
because they, they're very resistant. But once we help them to move better or they regain some ability they didn't have 10 minutes ago, they can go from feeling completely defeated by Parkinson's to being completely unstoppable. This is why I do what I do. Because once you get them, with, with they have real hope. It's not false hope. This is like real stuff because it's science. I mean, it works, right? You wake up the nervous system, you're going to move a little bit better or a lot better. If you can roll over, if your first challenge of the day is you wake up, you open your eyes and you can't roll over, that would really suck. I know I wouldn't like that. So when they can roll over, it not only helps them to feel better, but their caregiver, family, friends, co-workers, loved ones, there's a ripple effect that goes really deep. And, I mean, we have a million things we do, and I get so excited talking about it that you haven't said anything in 10 minutes <laughs> because, <laughs> because I didn't let you. No, but I, I know the question you asked, but I had to expand upon my answer because it's so important to get that nervous system woken up and hopefully to have them regain some confidence in their movement. And when that happens, man, you, you, you can start to do a lot more with them. No, fair enough. And like the moment you said like rolling, like, do you do any like the FMS or SFMA rolling patterns that Gray Cook is a big fan of? I, I don't know. Honestly, I, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this. There's so many courses I'd like to take. I don't even know. I, I don't know anything about any of Gray Cook's stuff. I am ashamed to admit it, but it's the truth. I just haven't gotten there yet, so I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I right. can tell you that Dr. Perry Nicholson taught some rolling patterns, a quadrant rolling, yep. which is really, really good. But we, we can't usually start them off with that, but we have a modified version just to help them get front to back, back to front, both directions, and then we move from there. Yeah, like I think uh, Dr. Perry Nicholson's kind of adopted what Gray Cook's doing because like when Gray Cook talks about rolling patterns, it's almost like pressing the reset button on your nervous system to get that uh, cross-diagonal yeah. patterning. And that's why he's a huge fan of like bird dogs and dead bugs and things like that. Oh. And like I use that whole kind of... Um, principle of philosophy when I train clients that don't even have Parkinson's but they don't even understand to go opposite arm opposite leg during a step up and you're like left arm up use your left arm left arm now and they still can't get it <laughs> so it's yeah. like it's amazing when you start getting them into like a bird dog or dead bug position and teaching them cross diagonal patterns and then it's like yeah. instant like the I always tell this to any new trainer that I put through like an internship like you give a client an exercise that's money like a bird dog, you'll notice a huge change when they come next week and they just like kill it. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but there's some so some sort of adaptation in the brain where they just go like it clicks in and then boom, movement improves. Yeah. So I would definitely yeah. look into like SFMA and FMS stuff because I think that would but you know, like even if you don't know enough about it, it kind of seems like there's so many different organizations in the rehab and performance and training world, and they all kind of come together to the same outcome, but just a different way of explaining it and oh, implementing yeah. it, you know? And it's kind of cool when you kind of sprinkle in all these different methods together and then you find what works best for the individual. It really is. It's interesting because uh, Alison Klum is uh, one of my 
very best friend. She's an amazing person, trainer. Um, um, she's also my main instructor. Uh, uh, there's me, and then there's a couple other people. She's she's kind of the boss. And lately, uh, is I I can't do this by myself anymore. I started this program a few years ago, and it's like it's based on what I knew, who I was hanging out with, and learning from. But I don't want to limit this thing to me. So she's come on board about a year and a half ago. Man, she's brought some, you said I could swear, she's brought some cool shit to the table. Um, some stuff from Original Strength, mm -hmm. which is really, really good. We have some AM, uh, see, AMN Academy, Z Health. Um, um, I haven't done Z Health. She hasn't either, but we've taught at so many places where people have gone to Z Health. And we get into some of these visual assessments and resets and it's mind-boggling what we can do with just a little information to help reset eye tracking and uh adam wolf showed me this uh, we, we were in a bar in new jersey like having a beer and a burger adam wolf uh does this vestibular assessment and then he rolls me on the floor and resets my vestibular and i was so much stronger after he did that so then i learned more about it and it's like, I don't know if you know Adam, but he's a, a genius. He's in Chicago. Yeah. He's amazing. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was interesting to, uh, there, there are circles of people. There's a lot of overlapping that goes on. And it's actually, it's exciting. But it's frustrating, and that's one of the reasons, like, another reason Allison is with us is because she's doing a lot of research, and I do my own research, and then we combine things to create a program that, um, it's definitely not, I'm not bragging, but the program kicks butt, and that's coming from the people who attend, because we need it to kick butt, because there's, there's a gap, a huge gap between functional life for the person with the movement disorder and where their physical care stops or is lacking, where their neurology care, medical care stops or is lacking. And the education is the gap. We want to fill that gap with the best education possible that integrates as much as possible to help them because, you know, we think about muscles and joint alignment and posture and but how many people, and I'm just saying this because, I mean, I, didn't, I never made up anything. I never had an original idea in my life. But I just, I learned this stuff, and it's like, okay, wait a minute, this makes sense. So when we think about the limbic system, and when we're actually thinking negative thoughts or feeling down, um, we're not as strong as we can be, and we don't move as well as when we're thinking the opposite. And this was proven on me when Perry Nicholson caught me at a rough time in my life and he tested me. He said, brother, you got to change some shit in your life. <laughs> <laughs> and if you know Perry, you can hear him saying that. Yeah, yeah. Brother, you got to change some shit in your life. And you know what? He was right. I made a decision the next day. And like, I just, I ran better. I climbed a mountain better. I moved better. I felt better. Um, the vestibular system, the visual, the limbic, and just, thinking about all the inflammation that can be going on in the body that can rob us of strength. There's so many things that can rob us of strength 
besides weak muscles, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think you mentioned earlier also about the respiratory system a little bit. So I'm kind of curious, do you ever focus on like breathing patterns and things like that with people with Parkinson's? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's actually, so this is a, a, oh man, my mind got completely blasted in uh, Dr. Emily's Barefoot Summit two months ago. I was one of the presenters there, but not that that matters, but it was so cool to listen to people talk about things. So there is so much research, and Allison's digging in deep on this, and she's, she's bringing this along with a friend of ours who's a, a guest speaker this Sunday for an hour at our workshop in Huntington. His name is Brian Mirabella. Brian Mirabella is a badass. He knows so much cool stuff. Um, I was with him a couple months ago having lunch in New York City, and we were doing breathing exercises at the table, no, I can't go in. This is one of those areas where, like, Allison teaches this, and I still have to learn it. I mean, it used to be she had to learn everything that I put together. Well, now I have to learn stuff she put together for our program because she's digging deep and taking the lead on this. But, you know, the old traditional, oh, take a deep breath and then blow all the way out. Well, Brian and I think Joe Dispenza, Dr. Dispenza, and so many other people, and Allison's finding us. She's, I'm going to learn it this. I'm going to learn from them this Sunday as an attendee of my own workshop, because um, science shows that when you breathe like that, all I can say is this: I cannot say anything more than saying that your body doesn't get as much oxygen when you breathe deep as when you breathe less deep or more shallow. If you know anything about it, please enlighten the listeners, but I don't know anything more. So the answer is breathing is very important. We work on it, but we're working on, uh, we're working in a different way now. I, I do, I do work with just making sure they're mindful of their breath when I'm with a client. Um, I think if anyone has questions on this, I don't know if you set anything up for questions afterwards, like in the coming weeks or months. I'm happy to answer as I learn more. Mm -hmm. The breathing area is becoming very, very, very fascinating and how we get oxygen delivered to our, our cells. Um, and breathe, deep breathing is not the way. Yeah, like um, the rabbit holes that I've fallen into for breathing is like, how I explain it to clients when I try to teach them how to use their diaphragm is this is a direct communicator to your nervous system. If you're constantly yeah. stress breathing with your chest, your body's like, what the fuck is going on? We're probably yeah. dying. And now you're just like in that high stress constant state and you can never come down. And I think a lot more research and a lot of more people are <clears throat> digging deep into kind of breathing, like proper breathing research and there's like another course out there that you should probably take and I still have to take, but I've known about it for a while, is DNS courses where, oh. yeah, they talk about breathing a lot. So, yeah, for all those listeners, breathing's super important and probably 99% <laughs> of people are not breathing properly. But um, the way I explain it is like, you know, if you could take a good diaphragmic breath, it should expand like in 360, right? Like 
you'll yeah, push yeah, from totally. the front, from the side, from the back. And then, like, even the most elite powerlifters have had a long, long career. Their breath work is super important. And then you wonder why they don't have their freaking, like, discs just shooting out of their spine when they lift, like, thousands of pounds. And it's all because of breathing. So, and then, like, another example I give to people is, like, go watch Cirque du Soleil, for example, and look at the gymnasts that have no shirts on and they do, like, the human flag and see how much their diaphragm's moving. It's, pretty incredible so from a rehab standpoint breathing is really important and then from performance super important oh totally you know i'm glad you said that because sometimes i i just i forget things we have a whole section in the workshop and with clients about three-dimensional breathing yeah. i actually learned this primarily from two people uh, ariana ariana rabinovich who's in manhattan she's the yoga person if anyone wants yoga in manhattan and then dr perry and my co-director at Rock Tape, he actually brought me up in front of a group of people. I laid on the table with no shirt on, and I had that, uh, what do they call that uh, thing where you had the ribs are sticking way out, and you're, uh, I was a chest breather. Okay, yeah. So all of them got me uh, mindful of the chest and abdomen rising together, falling together. And then also thinking about the lateral expansion of the rib cage, and then the in the back too. When you know if you're on the floor and you're deep breathing, Perry had us think about your back pushing into the floor while your chest and your abdomen rise together and your lateral expansion occurs. So it's 360, it's three 3D, and yeah, that's very powerful. Now I was going deep breath with that for a while for years until i learned that i shouldn't so again uh you have to hit me up later for the answers on that but it's just that's what i'm working on right now it's really interesting yeah fair enough and uh maybe for the last question because we're coming up on our time here is if you have to leave some parting words for the listeners about parkinson's disease what would you like them to learn and let's just leave it off at that Okay, there's a couple things. I'll be as fast as possible. So first of all, first and foremost, um, there's a saying that I came up with. It's really important to me, and it's ridiculous, but I say it. People with Parkinson's are people too. So what does that mean? Well, what we find, um, we find that there is a fair number of professionals out there or I should maybe say alleged professionals who at least have the passion of wanting to help people. I don't mean to discredit anybody, but they look at a person with a disease and they allow the disease to define the person, and that's not how it works. If you have cancer, you're a person with cancer. You are not cancer. If you have Parkinson's, you're a person with Parkinson's. You are not Parkinson's. So these are people. They might have tight calves. They might have had a hip replacement. They might have had open heart surgery. You might have had a brain tumor. I mean, they're normal people who have a a disorder, so we don't ever, ever, ever let a person's diagnosis define them. Of course, be mindful of it, right, and work accordingly and be safe, but and learn what, you know, just learn about them, but they are people. Um, The other thing, though, too, is there's two things I want to mention, and they both have to do with the brain. And uh, to me, these are the defining 
besides waking up the nervous system with, you know, Naboso and uh, some other nervous system resets we can do with some of the, the egg roll pattern and, and then the, the rock tape, the sensory input from rock tape has been great for posture. Um, when it comes to the brain, there are two main things that are absolutely game changers and they're extremely important. The first one is getting your heart rate elevated, let's say to the equivalent of walking as fast as you can for 30 minutes every day. And this is, comes from neuro, the neurology world. I didn't make this up. Science shows if you can get your heart rate elevated to that equivalent of walking as fast as possible for 30 minutes for that duration, what happens now, if you can go more intense, that's cool. Now, it could be bicycling, it could be stationary bike, it could be swimming, it could be whatever, boxing. When you get the heart rate elevated, there's a growth hormone, a protein called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is created by the brain. Science shows, and many of the interviews I've done with my people, it shows that when this substance is created, it circulates in the brain, it helps to slow the progression of dying brain cells and give birth to new brain cells in certain areas. That's why we know people with early onset Alzheimer's who are exercising every day, many of them get their memory back. Doesn't mean they're going to stop Alzheimer's and doesn't mean we can stop Parkinson's, but we can delay, likely delay disease progression by doing cardio to get BDNF to slow the progression of dying brain cells. And side note here, we have several people now who are using the Bosu insoles in Mexico who after about three months, they're getting their sense of smell back. It's because we know science shows that uh, BDNF helps to give birth to new brain cells in the hippocampus, that's from memory, in the olfactory bulb sense of smell. So that's the first thing. Cardio, 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 todos las dias, as I see in Mexico. Um, that is the number one way, exercise-wise, to slow disease progression. The other thing is taking advantage of, and this is the last thing, neuroplasticity. The brain has this ability to form new neural firing patterns, neurons that fire together, wire together. Okay, so if you go back to when you learned how to ride a bicycle at some point in life, you, weren't, you sucked at it the first day. If you're like me, you had bloody knees. Your mother was scared. So two weeks later, I'm really good at it. But that's because the neurons that fired together and establish this deep connection together, they wired together, and then that becomes my bicycle riding neural firing pattern. So I ride, 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 and then all of a sudden I don't ride for a few years. Well, when you get back on a bike after a few years, there's a saying, it's just like getting on a bike. You don't have to relearn. They're just rusty. So that neural firing pattern needs to be fired up get the rust out of it, and after five or 10 minutes, you're going and you're good. Well, this is why we will do, this is my very last, last thing for neuroplasticity is lots of things with focused movement while we're also doing hand-eye coordination, like maybe it's laterals, two-leg jumps or one-leg jump or whatever, anything, through an agility ladder, playing catch with a ball. But when we do it, we're having them do a cognitive exercise so we can improve the dual tasking abilities. Maybe yesterday I had Jerry jump a single leg through an agility ladder and a lot of different patterns, diagonal, sideways, zigzag, frontwards, backwards. While we're playing catch, and every time he lands, he throws the ball, and he has to, I, I give him a state. He has to name the capital and spell it forwards and backwards. 
Um, we can do other things too. We, we can come up with so many different things to do with people to do cognitive training during focus movement and then like adding on some vestibular activation or hand-eye coordination. So um, my website, parkinsregenerationtraining.com, it's got a lot of information on this and videos and um, yeah, the brain, man. You gotta work the brain, you gotta wake up the nervous system and the brain. It's a game changer for everybody, not just people with Parkinson's. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Well, thanks, man. It was really nice to meet you. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, keep up all the good work you're doing. I have to have you as a guest on my show here sometime soon. Okay, so that's going to wrap up episode 192 with Carl Sterling. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did and learned a thing or two. So just like every single episode, hit the freaking show notes and add me on Facebook. I would love to have every single one of you who are listening on my Facebook page so you can see video content and Rin content that I put out each and every single week to give you even more amazing stuff because a lot of times when I'm describing the topics over audio, you sometimes need a visual. So all the videos I post will be super helpful for you. So hit the show notes, add me on Facebook. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out. And if you have any suggestion on guests or topics you'd like me to cover next, let me know. Don't be a stranger. And again, share, 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 share this podcast with your friends and family and I'm going to continue giving you the best fitness and health advice out there in the industry until next week you guys